Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 122 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, could it get any hotter? Actually, yes, it probably could. A sweltering week and it seems mad dogs and beekeepers go out in the midday sun. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypore Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypore Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypore. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Welcome back to a much cooler, calmer beekeeping HQ, where today I'm actually recording and publishing the podcast all in one hit on Friday. As you know, I normally publish the podcast on a Friday, and I've had a lot of messages from beekeepers saying how they enjoy each episode and look forward to the Friday morning fix. Well, This one is a little late in the day, mainly due to the incredibly hot weather we've been enjoying this last week. I use the word enjoying somewhat cautiously, as I'm not sure these intense temperatures are to everyone's liking, and I certainly struggle with the very high overnight temperatures. For anyone listening outside the UK, we've had daytime temperatures here of around 30 to 34 degrees centigrade. That's somewhere in the low 90s Fahrenheit, with overnight temperatures staying around the high teens and even into the low 20s centigrade. Again, that's the upper 60s Fahrenheit. The big problem for us Brits is we're just not used to such high temperatures. And when you put three or four days of consecutive high temperatures together, we start to wilt and melt. Of course, no sooner than the weather breaks, we immediately start to discuss the next weather front to sweep across the country. We do love talking about the weather, don't we? I would also add, I know we don't ever have the hottest or coldest of weather, and there are a lot of people around the world who genuinely suffer in the stifling heat and freezing cold. So all of my complaining, if you like, is more tongue-in-cheek than anything. We are so very lucky to have the temperate climate that we enjoy, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Continuing on with the weather theme, it's been dry, very dry again. Here in the east of England, we regularly get around 30% less rainfall than the rest of the UK. I heard that on the local news bulletin a couple of days ago, so it must be true. That has led to a very poor summer flow for me, and I suspect I'm not alone. I'm guessing we'll be some distance away from our target for honey production, although we do have a few supers yet to extract. I don't think it will push the total up a great deal higher. If we match our spring crop total, I'd be very, very surprised. I was talking to Steph about this yesterday, and looking back over the past few years, it seems our spring crop has been generally more reliable for us. Perhaps it's time to refocus the annual plan and aim to have no nukes in the spring but full-size colonies to hit that spring flow, making our nukes in the June gap perhaps and on into summer. 
who knows, it might just be the right way to go with our summers set to continue to get hotter in the years to come. Remember, I'm talking about my microclimate here in the east, and it may well be totally different where you live. Take into account your local conditions and balance your approach accordingly, I would say. Sticking with the weather theme, it's been a hot, hot week. Getting out among the bees has not been the most comfortable experience, and taking on lots of water constantly has been a major help. I have one of those steel vacuum flasks that keeps the water nicely chilled for most of the day, and it's a decent size so I can keep hydrated. I don't know about you guys, but I start to get a bit cranky when I dehydrate and I'm beekeeping, and it's so tiring. It's been a necessary evil this week as I've been completing the last of the super removals and adding treatments. As I said last week, I'm using the Apitraz strips and interestingly, I had an email from the National Bee Unit this week talking about authorised treatments and reminding people that Apitraz was on the list. If you've not registered on the National Bee Unit website, you won't be getting any of the advisory emails or warnings and I thoroughly recommend it. The website is packed with information and advice, and if you want to, you can also keep a record of your inspections on there too. Forget all the big brotheries watching you conspiracy theories and just get signed up. One day, it may just pre-warn you and save your colonies. Some time ago, I mentioned I'd got some new queens from a fellow commercial bee farmer here in the UK. I have to say, I think they're going to be fantastic. The nukes I've created have all now gone into full-size hives and are drawing comb and storing food for the winter. The brood pattern is as good as I've ever had, and they are so calm. I discovered I have a vicious colony a few weeks back, and I've been putting off tackling them. Well, yesterday I decided I'd waited long enough and donned ankle protection and, wait for it, leather gauntlets. Yep. I put on a pair of leather gauntlets and I was so glad I did. I was immediately stung about five or six times on the fingers. The gloves protected me nicely and I only ever used them in the most extreme of situations and this was one of them, maybe once every other year or so. It's the problem when you're raising so few queens as I do. Every now and then a rogue queen or swarm will throw up a genetic monster that needs to be tamed. The colony, set up as a double brood, just to make things more difficult, was split into the BS Honey nuke boxes, and I divided those into the three-frame nukes, and I've got more queens arriving today to go into them. I'll leave the nukes for another 24 hours, by which time they should have started to produce any emergency queen cells that I can then knock down. The new queens will then be left in their cages inside the nukes for another couple of days or so to make sure that the nukes are hopelessly queenless before I break off the tab and release the queens. I find this gives me the very best chance of acceptance and the minimum failures. I've often said I wanted to raise my own queens and try to get back to as near native as I can, but with all the work that I do it's proving far more trickier than I'd hoped. Honestly, I just don't seem to have the time right now. Producing the videos and the podcast, answering emails and questions from beekeepers takes up a lot of time and I just can't do it all by myself. And I'm not complaining, it's just that at some point something has to give and this year it's been the queen rearing. The decision to buy in queens 
may mean it's something that I have to do on a regular basis, but when you see just how calm they are, I think you'll agree it was a good choice. It helps with the videos too. There's nothing worse than having bees running around the comb and stinging you when you're trying to point something out or demonstrate a particular technique. I'm going to keep my supplier's name close to my chest for the moment. I want to see how the queens perform next spring in terms of production, but if the early signs are anything to go by, they'll repay themselves many times over very quickly, and I'll be happy to pass on his details so that you can all enjoy these queens. Changing the subject back to the weather, we have a thunderstorm rolling through at the moment. If I can get the podcast recorded with the window open, you might well hear it, along with the occasional car and pigeon, of course, but a few sound effects shouldn't detract from the beekeeping chat. Some might even go as far to say it helps. The season for me is drawing to a close. Many of you will still be working full on to get your bees onto heather if you haven't already got them there. And I'll keep my fingers crossed you get a nice flow of nectar from it this year. I do know that some of you will be waiting for a late August crop. Maybe the Himalayan balsam or a late borage crop has flowered strongly in your area. I did notice just this week at the farm apiaries the farmer had planted some very wide margins of mustard and wildflowers, plants like phacelia and cornflowers. The bees were all over them, and while it's not going to be enough for a crop of honey, the pollen will be so valuable to them in feeding over the winter months to come. Now is the time for a few discussions with our farmer friends to find out what and if they plan to sow in terms of oilseed rape for next spring. We have two farms that grow it, and I intend taking full advantage of it next spring, along with, hopefully, providing the farmers with an uplift in pollination. The variety grown this year was called Ambassador, and it turned out to be a really decent crop. It seemed to flower early, but continued for a very long period, giving the bees and us a nice crop of honey. Our strongest colony delivered five supers of honey from the spring flow, and I'm hoping the new queens will head up strong early colonies to take advantage of this. That's not to say I'm giving up on the summer flow. I extracted some lovely blackberry honey this week, and when the honey room fills with the heady smell of the summer fruits, it's a pleasure to call it work. I mentioned phacelia earlier, and it's been noticeable that the bees have really taken to this plant this year. You can tell they're on it by spotting the purple-coloured pollen tucked away in the brood frames. This year, there seems to be a lot more of it. Perhaps the farmer's just got a higher proportion of phacelia seed in the mix that they've sown. I'm planning on getting the microscope out in the coming autumn and having a really good look at what pollen is in our honey. And of course, I do have some samples that I've already taken. In other news, I managed to break the zip on my BB Web bee suit this week. Little wonder, really. I wear it on a daily basis, and it goes into the washing machine on average two or three times a week through the season. It's the zip around the hood that gives way. I tug at it too hard, and the teeth tend to snag and bite. That makes the material tear eventually, and it allows the zip head to slide over the teeth rather than gathering them in and binding them together. If I'm careful, I can manoeuvre it so it doesn't fail, but it always seems to be those times when I find myself in a hurry and I pull a little too hard at it and then I have to start all over again. Something else to add to the autumn repair list. It's a quick fix though and BBWare always do a good job in fitting a new zip at a very reasonable charge. Finally today, 
I've just sent off my sample of honey to the National Honey Monitoring Scheme. I grabbed some information from their website to explain what they're up to. Working in partnership with the UK beekeepers, the National Honey Monitoring Scheme aims to use honeybees to monitor long-term changes in the condition and health of the UK countryside. However, they do need the help of beekeepers if the scheme is going to work. To go on, they state, With the help of beekeepers, we'd like to collect samples from across the UK and continue to do this for many years. These samples will be analysed using advanced DNA barcoding techniques to identify the species of plant pollen present. This will tell us what bees are feeding on in different parts of the country and at different times of year. This information will help us identify possible threats to the floral resources of pollinating insects. Now that to me seems like a really good idea, and so I signed up. It's a simple process on their website, and I'll add a link to the podcast notes online. Once the sample had been taken and sent, I popped onto their website and updated my records. Answering a simple questionnaire, which takes just a couple of minutes, and now all I have to do is to sit back and wait for the results. I think it is a very worthwhile exercise and would encourage all UK-based beekeepers to get involved and support this project. While time's up for me for this week, I'm off to do a video to demonstrate the honey pour slit uncapper now. Do look out for the video next week sometime, and if you haven't yet checked out all of this season's videos so far, do pop over to my Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.